So as Kaz said, you will find the reading in your bulletin on, the, on page 856 of the Church Bibles in your own Bible or on the screen. There's lots of places to access it. And I'm also going to read it out to you. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 to 34, and then 54 to verse chapter 23. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? He replied, you say that I am. Then they said, What do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that as we turn to this word this morning, we ask that your spirit would be at work in us, that he would open this word, this familiar story, uh, and make it new, that we might know more of your love and the power that is in uh, the gospel, in your work for us through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that we might not only be saved, but live lives worthy of the calling we have received. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now we're dealing with a familiar story. Uh, We're dealing with uh, what is customarily called the passion story. When I say story, I'm not saying, you know, made up. Uh, It's it's the story that really covers uh, the garden to the grave, the suffering of Jesus across that last day or so of his earthly life before his resurrection. And this story, this story is at the centre of the Christian faith. 
It's not something we can dispense with. All four Gospels give us great detail about the last week and particularly the last day of Jesus' life. This is the one thing that you cannot drop out of the Christian faith. Not that you want to drop anything, but this is the thing upon which everything stands. If Jesus didn't die and rise again, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that our faith is futile, we are still in our sins, and we are more pitied than anyone. We're pathetic is what he's saying. But Jesus has risen. Over the last week and the next couple of weeks, we're going to be spending time in this really familiar story. We're going to be spending time exploring, is it just about what God has done through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus so that we might be accepted before him? Is it just about getting saved? Or is it, as I would believe, that the gospel is not only about salvation, but it's about how we can actually live the Christian life? Where do we find the power that we might actually live for Christ? And I believe that the Bible teaches us that not only salvation, but the ongoing power to live for Christ is through the gospel. So we looked at last week the story in the garden, and we saw that it's a story of love and how Christ's love for us overflows in our lives, enabling and empowering our love. And today, we're exploring the courage that we see in Christ and where we might find the courage to stand firm to the end. We're going to do it under a couple of headings. They're in your notes, if you're taking notes. The first one, Peter on trial, then Jesus on trial, and then the courage to stand. Tom read for us, uh, setting the scene. We have seen last week that Jesus was in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying, and then at the end of that time, Judas turns up with the crowd. Some official, some unofficial, uh, and they arrest Jesus after Judas betrays him with the kiss. Jesus is then taken from the garden to the high priest's house, and Peter it's recorded, follows at a distance. He's there following along, wanting to see what Jesus, what is going to happen to the Lord Jesus. And Luke records for us that what happens is that the mob, the crowd goes inside. Jesus is handed over to the high priest and they sit down in the courtyard, kindle a fire, and on the cold spring night, Peter joins them. Phenomenally brave, isn't it? If you'd been part of the group around a man that had just been arrested in threat of his life, to go in and sit with the very people that had arrested him. The other 10, or 10 of the other disciples, actually nine of the other disciples, uh, taking Judas out, had scattered. John's gospel tells us that John knew the family of the high priest, and so he was how Peter got an invitation inside. But John had a certain level of immunity. But Peter had no such immunity, but still joins the crowd. But Peter's trial then begins. If you've got your Bibles, have a look there at verse 56. A servant girl saw him seated there at the firelight 
She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this man was with them, for he was a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Peter is on trial. The accusations are made. You're one of them. You're with Jesus of Nazareth. And three times, Peter emphatically denies Jesus. You couldn't put a spin on this. Even our politicians would have a hard time turning this one around. Peter couldn't say, well, what, what I really meant was, no, he emphatically denies any association with Jesus. So much so that in his first denial, when he says, I don't know him, he's mirroring words that a synagogue, when they were excommunicating a member, would say, we do not know you. We have nothing to do with you. We dissociate ourselves from you. And Peter is saying the same thing of Jesus. We do not know you. I don't know him. I'm not one of them. I'm not with him. Three times he is accused and three times he denies. But Tom read for us of another time, just a few hours earlier, Jesus is sitting around the table with his disciples. Judas is yet to depart and there is this conversation, this conversation and betrayal comes up and Simon is addressed. And what is his answer? Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Just a few hours from I am ready to go with you to prison and death to I don't know him. What has happened in the middle? What has happened in Peter? Luke doesn't tell us, but we can guess. Imagine if that was you. Imagine if you were there in the courtyard, sitting around the fire, that you had been with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the spotlight turns on you. And you know what is at stake. What's happening in your heart at that point? Fear. Peter fears loss. Perhaps the loss of life. He saw that coming. I'm ready to go with you to death. Perhaps the loss of liberty. I'm ready to go with you to prison. Perhaps just the loss of dignity to be associated with someone who is being now disgraced. The drive for self-preservation takes over and Peter says, I do not know him. Do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves in Peter? We come along here on a Sunday morning and we make declarations. We haven't done one this morning, but 
we often declare together what it is that we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We sing songs that declare our praise and our commitment. And we love singing those songs, don't we? Maybe you can remember your baptism as you declared, I turn to Christ. These commitments that we make when the doors are closed, in the inside, but when things turn around, are we so steadfast? Peter declares he would go with Christ to death. But when he comes out, out into the world, where there's not a group of people going around saying, wow, look at Peter, isn't he committed? Isn't that great? When the death and imprisonment is a real pressure, Peter caves. What are we like? It's one thing to come here on Sunday. It's another thing to be in the world where the pressure is on, where our culture is starting to look at Christians, at biblical Christians, at somehow deviants. We feel that pressure. Where popular books, number one bestsellers, decry Christians as intellectual lightweights, as abusers of themselves and others. When we are associated with Christ in scornful ways, do we feel that pressure? When we feel that pressure to fit in with the crowd, when obedience doesn't pay, when associating yourself with Christ is not easy, when those around you curse his name, do we feel that pressure? That pressure to stand you also are one of them when you feel that pressure to deny Christ. Do you give in? By your silence, by your disobedience, by your joining in, by your justification of why this is not the right time to speak, to stand, to leave. What is it that we fear? What is it we fear? Do we fear loss of our dignity, of respect, of our friends? What is it that we fear? When those friends at school ask you to join in something that you know is completely inconsistent with your faith, but you join in anyway, because you don't want to be the one that is under scorn for associating yourself with Christ. When you're asked to do something that's a little bit dodgy, or maybe a lot dodgy at work, and it's made clear that this is how we do things here, that your future promotions, you're getting ahead in the company, you're getting to where you want to be, depends upon you just turning a blind eye, doing what they want you to rather than what Christ wants you to. You also are one of them. 
Do we fear the loss? I want to read to you a story, a true story, about Wang Mingdao, pastor of the Christian Tabernacle in Beijing. Started back in the 30s and 40s, he resisted the Japanese invaders and their attempt to assimilate his church into a national church. He resisted the communists. And eventually, in 1955, they arrested he and his wife in a midnight raid. We read of him in David Aikman's book, Jesus in Beijing. I read, For months, two carefully coached cellmates terrified him with their stories of the tortures that could be inflicted upon stubborn prisoners. Towards the end of the year, he began to break and started writing confessions to the prison authorities that indicated that he was beginning to have doubts about his own faith. After promising his persecutors that he would join the national church and preach anything they wanted him to preach, he was released in September 56, along with his wife. He was a tormented man. Despite his promises to the authority, he couldn't bring himself to join the national church or to speak in any church. At the same time, he was convinced that he had completely betrayed Christ. Some stories have him wandering around Beijing muttering, I am Peter. I am Peter. Brothers and sisters, none of us have faced pressures like that, I believe. Where can we find the courage to stand? There's another trial that's happening at the same time as Peter, and that is the trial of the Lord Jesus. Verse 66. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they met together and Jesus was led before him. These guys are not just religious leaders, they are the powerful brokers. They are the, they are the political leaders of Israel. These are the guys that make things happen. But note their cowardice in front of Jesus' courage. When have they arrested him? In the middle of the night, when none of the crowds are around. They ask him, if you are the Messiah, tell us. Jesus answer, if I tell you, you wouldn't believe me. And if I asked you, you wouldn't answer. Afraid to speak, ultimately because they feared the people. But Jesus does give them an answer. Look at verse 70. They ask, are you the son of God? He replied, you say that I am. Jesus actually gives them the testimony that is necessary for them to convict him. His courage as he heads to the cross means that he hands himself over into their, into their hands. But he gives them an answer that has a sting. Verse 69, he says, From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. You may not pick the reference, but it would not have been lost 
upon the people listening. Jesus is referring to one of the great Psalms of kingship, Psalm 110 in the Old Testament, where the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus is saying, you judge me now. You judge me now. But from now on, you will see me seated at the right hand of the Father and the boot will be on the other foot. It will not be your opinion of me, your judgment of me that matters. It will in the end be my judgment of you that matters. At the right hand of the Father is power and authority and favour. The tables will be turned and those who judge now will be judged. It ups the ante on us though, doesn't it? Because if you think about it, if it's hard enough to stand before the accusations of the world, how are we going to be able to stand before the judge that sees and knows everything? Denying that judge is not a good move. So where do we find the courage to stand? Now if we look at this story, this text that's here, one thing that it unequivocally tells us is that you will not find it in yourself. You will not find it in yourself. Peter, the strong one, the rock, that's what Peter means. Jesus gave him that name. The rock cracked under pressure. At the crunch, a servant girl got the denial out of him. Peter wasn't before the Sanhedrin. It was a servant girl. In those days, a nobody. I don't know him. The text tells us that if we look to ourselves, if we look for ourselves to have the strength to stand, at the end, we will crack. Like Wang Mingdao, we will deny that we ever knew him. But the amazing thing, the amazing thing about this story is that Jesus meets the failure of his disciple with compassion and not contempt. Verse 61. As he was speaking, that's Peter speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the rock would crack and he loved him. And he prayed for him back in verse 32. Simon, Simon, I have prayed for you. He exhorted him. And at that moment, Jesus has a thought for his most flawed disciple. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And he went outside and wept bitterly. 
Peter knows that he cannot stand. Peter knows that the strength is not in himself. He knows that he should have stand, that he was called to stand. But he does not have what it takes. And so Peter weeps in repentance and remorse. He turns from reliance on himself. He's a broken man. He wept bitterly. It's a vivid demonstration of inadequacy, isn't it? But would you be any different? Would you be any different to Peter? I've never faced pressure to stand for Christ in the face of death and prison. But I have given way again and again and again. I have felt the scorn of friends. Surely you don't believe that. I have felt the pressure to just back away, just stay silent, to not speak, to not act. And if you've tried to live for Christ, I guarantee that you have felt that as well. Where do we find the courage to stand? It is not in ourselves. Like Peter, we should see our betrayal of Christ and weep bitterly. So where can we find it? Are we left in tears? Where do we find the courage to stand? We find it, brothers and sisters, in the fact that he stood for us. Not as our example, although Christ is a great example of steadfastness, but he stood for us in our place, doing what we could not do to break the fear that holds us silent. Because when we fear loss, we fear that standing with Christ means that we give up all these things that we value and we hold so dearly. But as we see Christ, and as we see him stand and go to the cross, we see the things that we fear, the things that we fear losing, they were never ours to keep anyway. But the things that he gives us, the things that are ours in Christ, they cannot touch Nothing can take us from Christ. Nothing can take the riches that are ours in Christ. Nothing can revoke the welcome that we have in Christ. Because Christ stood for us. It's not his, it's not our steadfastness that counts. It's not our grit and determination. It's his. It's his. The fact that he stood for us. The fact that he lost everything so that we may gain everything. The fact that he was abandoned so that we would never know a moment that he was not with us. The fact that he was broken so that we might be made whole. He was condemned so that we might be declared innocent. 
Brothers and sisters, the courage to stand comes from the gospel of grace. It comes not from within us, but from his work for us. And as we live in that gospel, as we live in that grace, as grace is truly amazing to us, it will transform us. It will change us. But it is his grace. It is his power. Jesus warns his disciples, if they hate you, remember that they hated me first. They killed him, they hated him, and they will hate us. So how do we prepare? How do we take that gospel of grace and find in it not only salvation, but the courage to live the life of salvation? How do we take the gospel of grace and be transformed by it? The first thing we need to do is the brutal lesson that Peter had to learn that ourselves, we do not have the strength that is called for. Christ calls us to stand and we, by ourselves, cannot do it. And brothers and sisters, that should make us weep bitterly because it, it is our weakness, it is our failure, it is our sin that sent Christ to the cross. And so the repentance that we see the remorse that we see in Peter needs to be in us. Because if we think we can stand where Peter and so many others have failed, we are fooling ourselves. They are incredible words of grace. Jesus says, you will deny me. How is it a word of grace? Because it points us to where the true strength is. It points us away from ourselves. Our first step, if we are going to stand for Christ, is actually to repent of our self-reliance and to put our trust in him. Our second step is to go to him in prayer. Is to go to him as he prays for Simon, as he encourages the disciples to pray that they will not fall into trial is to pray. We repent of our self-reliance and we cast ourselves upon Christ. And as we do that, as we do that, we learn also to preach the gospel to ourselves. What is it that you fear losing? And how is it that in Christ you have so much more than you fear losing? You fear a losing your reputation. They'll think I'm crazy. But in Christ, in Christ you are a beloved child, an heir, an heir of the King of glory. Who cares what they think about you? Maybe you fear for your security. But in Christ we have a home that can never be taken from us, a welcome that will never be revoked. We need to learn to live in the gospel and preach that gospel to our fears and to see that every accusation that is brought against us 
has actually been answered in Christ. And what we fear to lose is nothing compared to the riches that are ours in him. We need to repent of our self-reliance. We need to pray and cast ourselves upon him. We need to learn how in the gospel we have been given everything that we need. And we need to remember as well that God uses broken vessels. You might think that like Peter, you've failed Christ. But you notice there's a big difference between the two disciples who so visibly fail. Judas. Judas in his remorse runs from God, hangs himself. Peter in his remorse runs to God and God restores him. We read Charles Spurgeon makes a note of Peter and the fact that in his weakness God uses him. Listen to these words. Spurgeon notes that there is a particular tenderness without which one is not qualified to shepherd Christ's sheep and to feed his lambs. A tenderness without which one cannot strengthen the brethren as Peter was to do afterwards. A tenderness which does not usually come at any rate to such a man as Peter except by his being put into the sieve, tossed up and down by satanic temptation. God uses the trials to shape us for service. Wang Ming Dao, what happened to him? April 29, 1958, Wang Ming Dao and his wife were arrested yet again. This time he was sentenced to life in prison and his wife to 15 years. Wang Ming Dao now did something astonishing to the authorities. First orally, and then in a Lotton written declaration, he withdrew all of his earlier confessions and denounced them as lies, the result of coercion. He spent the next 22 years in prison with the Cultural Revolution years, 1966 to 71, being especially brutal. At one point, he was handcuffed for four months at a stretch and subject to daily beatings and humiliations. His wife, Deborah, was released in 75 and was allowed to visit him a few times. He himself was only released, finally, in January 1980. No Christian Chinese leader in the 20th century, wrote Hudson Taylor's grandson, James Hudson Taylor III, has more clearly articulated the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ or more poignantly experienced what the Apostle Paul described as the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Due to his more than two decades of incarceration, Wang Mingdao was unable to personally influence the unauthorized Christian communities that had bring, begun to spring to life. But his phenomenal courage in refusing to buckle under communist pressure served as a rallying cry to other Chinese Christian leaders. A man walking through Beijing, broken. I am Peter. I am Peter. 
weeping bitterly over his weakness, repenting of his self-reliance, wonderfully used to encourage the church under persecution. Brothers and sisters, where do you find the courage to stand? You find it in the gospel of grace and nowhere else. You find it knowing that our Lord, our Lord who died and rose again, is now at the right hand of the Father and ultimately it is his verdict that will stand. You are one of them. Yes, by his grace. Let's pray. Father, we ask. We ask that you would show us our weakness, our lack of ability to stand, the fact that we trust in ourselves so often, but Lord, we are not trustworthy. Help us to weep as Peter wept. But Father, let our remorse drive us to you to seek the grace that is ours in Christ. Help us to see in him, in what he accomplished for us. Help us to see in him the grace that we need to give us the courage to stand. Father, help us to live for you each and every day. Help us to do this, resting in your grace, knowing the riches that are ours, the power that is ours through the gospel. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.